This is Growing Forward, a collaborative podcast between New Mexico Political Report and New Mexico PBS, all about cannabis in New Mexico. I'm Andy Lyman with New Mexico Political Report. I'm Megan Kamrick, a New Mexico PBS correspondent and news director at KUNM. This week we're talking about cannabis expungements, which is something I've received a lot of questions about, and it's sometimes overlooked in conversations about cannabis legalization here in New Mexico. But before we get into that, I just want to update listeners on some news from last week. The New Mexico Cannabis Control Division confirmed with me that earlier this month it issued the first cannabis production license, which is big news since many others are eagerly waiting to get plants in the ground in order to get products on the shelves by next April. You can learn more about that first license by reading my story about it over at nmpoliticalreport.com. Criminal expungements are a relatively new thing in New Mexico. In 2019, the state legislature passed a law that allows for the expungement of someone's record under certain circumstances. But that law was pretty specific and requires the person seeking an expungement to file a petition, and it usually requires the help of an attorney. Earlier this year, though, the legislature amended the law to allow for automatic expungements of cannabis charges and convictions. That means a person doesn't have to hire an attorney and petition a court to get their record cleared, but that also means there's a pretty heavy lift for the state to identify individuals who qualify for expungements or determine how many people are still incarcerated for a cannabis charge. I spoke with Regina Chacon, the Law Enforcement Records Bureau Chief with the New Mexico Department of Public Safety about the technical side of things. Today I'm speaking with Regina Chacon, who is the Law Enforcement Records Bureau Chief for the Department of Public Safety. Uh, We're talking about cannabis expungement. So Regina, thank you so much for talking with me today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being interested. Can you uh, first uh, tell us what your department is or will be tasked with in terms of getting these records cleared? The Department of Public Safety Law Enforcement Records Bureau is tasked with maintaining all the criminal history for the state of New Mexico. So what that means is we're the repository for all the law enforcement agencies to submit their fingerprints on all arrests. Well, with that being said, any type of criminal history event that happens, we're tasked with updating that information in order for it to be used or shared with other criminal justice and non-criminal justice uh, approved entities. So as far as the legislation for the cannabis expungement, we're tasked with identifying all of the criminal arrest records that are maintained by the repository that have fingerprint supported data to to have them expunged and uh, removed from somebody's record. And I was told by your department that uh, the administrative office of, of the courts or AOC has a role in this too. Can you explain where your job ends and theirs begins? Absolutely. So it's actually a joint effort. So I don't, we wouldn't really see it as a, as where one starts and one ends. It's really a joint effort through this entire process. 
So what we're doing is we are identifying what we have fingerprint supported at the Department of Public Safety in the Criminal History Repository. Then we communicate with the Administrative Office of the Courts. We look up those records, we find out, we do a verification, we find out if that person is that person, what was the disposition, what, what were the events that been, that surrounded that, and then we, we go through uh, uh, several processes after that. And so what's the estimated number of cases that we're, we're talking about here uh, with expungements? We have identified, um, as of July 1st, uh, we identified 155,000 records that will need to be uh, expunged from our repository. And uh, there, there seems to be at least a couple of deadlines laid out in the statute. Does it seem like DPS is going to be able to meet those deadlines that are laid out in the statute? Yes, and, and we've actually already met one of the first deadline, which is to identify the records that could possibly meet the requirements for the expungement. So we, we are absolutely confident that we'll be able to meet those deadlines and we're going to work as diligently as we can with the administrative office courts, the prosecutors and the FBI to, to make sure that we're, we're meeting all of those deadlines. We've talked to some folks and, and we realize that there are people out there with multiple charges or convictions where the cannabis charge is just one of those. Can you speak to how that is handled to sort of parse out which is expunged and which isn't, or, or maybe in theory, somebody is incarcerated right now, how they determine how all that stuff works. Does that make sense how all that stuff works out? Absolutely, that makes sense. We're also able to identify the events in a person's criminal history. So it's all, it's all parsed out separately. For an example, if a person is arrested for a, let's just say a, a the criminal damage to property. And along with that, they had a possession of marijuana charge. We would go in and um, only identify the possession of marijuana charge and we're able to extract that out and, and expunge that part. And so that's part of the identification. So to extract just that, that single charge. What I'm hearing is that there is a capable there is the capability from DPS to uh, sort of extract those charges for lack of a better term to say this is and separate those things out. Absolutely, yes. Okay. Um, is there is there anything else that you wanted to add that I didn't ask about? No, uh, the the communication and the relationship with the administrative office of the courts through this entire process has been really strong. We're also working with the FBI and they're well aware of what our plans are. So I think we're in a really good spot right now. We really want to make sure that this is seamless and easy and transparent. So um, so we're glad to, to join in, in these type of discussions because it's important. Um, a lot of the phone calls that we do get are individuals that are asking about um, how the process works, what's going on. And so, so we do appreciate these discussions.
When we talked to Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham just after she signed the Cannabis Regulation Act into law, she told us it was sort of an all-hands-on-deck situation for cannabis expungements because, of course, the automatic nature of it all creates a lot of work for the state. I spoke with Kim Chavez-Cook from the state's law offices of the Public Defender to learn a little bit more about how this process is supposed to work in theory. Thanks, Kim, for talking with us today. Thank you for having me. What can you tell us, based on your understanding of the law, um, about how cannabis expungements are supposed to work? Sure. So under the statutes that were part of Senate Bill 2 in the March special session, the process was designed to require as little initiation by an individual as possible. So we keep, we, we sort of colloquially call it automatic expungement, but of course nothing in the world is actually automatic and steps have to take place. So the, the steps that are designed here is for initially the Department of Safety to call basically its database of records and identify anybody who has a conviction or arrest for a crime that used to be a crime involving cannabis that is no longer a crime now under the Cannabis Regulation Act. And then with that list of cases, they will have to identify people who qualify then to have their conviction either expunged or their arrest or what have you, or to have it reduced if it is falls into the sort of subset of crimes that are still maybe a crime now, but it's a lesser crime than it used to be. So it's different for depending on quantity and how old you are when you possess it and that sort of thing. That's one big piece of it is it falls on the Department of Public Safety to do that initial sort of identification. And then there is also a process for the courts that involves district attorneys to um, assess those for their actual qualification for expungement. And there's the opportunity for um, district attorneys to lodge objections and say, oh, well, no, this one actually doesn't fall into that because, and um, maybe it has to do with a, a factual detail like quantity or age. And then the courts will be the final sort of arbiter of which convictions and arrests qualify for expungement and reduction and which ones do not. And what role, if any, does the public defender's office play in rolling out these, well, automatic expungements? Sure, sure. So technically, as far as automatically goes, none. We are, of course, any clients who request, who are currently clients or former clients who request a public defender to intervene because maybe the their file isn't getting expunged and they think it should. I think it's unclear from the, the statutory scheme whether that falls into our scope of representation. I would imagine if it's a current client, um, it would it would be less gray and it would be the kind of thing that a, a public defender would look into for them. But as far as you know, any heavy litigation, I don't think that would be required. Um, most likely, it would just be uh, probably you know responding to the DA's objections and and trying to correct the surrounding factual circumstances for the court to decide. And there will likely be some cases that slip through the cracks. Is your office able to provide service in those cases? I guess you're saying it's it kind of right. depends on your situation. Yeah, I think um, if that is the only issue that a person is trying to address through the courts, 
I would say no, because our statute that controls the department um, and what our, uh, as an agency, what, what we're allowed to, to represent people on, um, the sort of baseline is that a person has to be facing incarceration. And so since this is a, um, there's collateral consequences certainly associated with having these convictions on your record, but because they don't directly lead to uh, someone facing incarceration as a result, um, it doesn't directly fall within the scope of, you know, saying I need a public defender to challenge my expungement case or whatever it is. Um, and that's the position we've taken with the sort of general expungement statute as well. If someone ate, you know, many years later after a case now qualifies for expungement cannabis or not, um, they can't just come to the public defender for a lawyer to do only that piece of a case. Um, but, you know, certainly, like I said, if it's a current client and this is going on for them, I'm sure um, that they, that's a conversation they can have with their public defender. Um, but it's not strictly speaking within our scope of representation as the sort of legalese for that. What concerns do you have with this process? You know, I think my my primary concern is just the 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 practical um, amount of of work that is going to be involved in processing all of this through a judiciary that is currently also really overwhelmed um, by the the sort of backlog of cases relating, you know, from, from the pandemic where a lot of trials were had to be set aside and hearings had to be postponed um, because in-person proceedings weren't possible for a long time. So we're still playing catch up in a lot of jurisdictions on that. And, um, you know, some jurisdictions say that their judges and courts say that they're doing much better at that than others. So it might depend on where your case originated, how quickly and whether it might actually be able to meet the deadlines from the statute. Um, you know, so I think that there is some concern that meeting the deadlines that were that seemed reasonable at the time that the statute was enacted um, might not be just possible. Um, of course, <clears throat> what what happens if they're not met? Um, you know, the statute doesn't uh, provide any particular remedy for that if the statute uh, deadlines aren't met. So hopefully we just um, see the courts and the DAs and the DPS working towards those goals as best they can. And if we're running a little behind, hopefully not too much. I mean, I think practically speaking, that's the best we can hope for. Um, as far as, you know, any other concerns, I, you know, you obviously do worry that because um, individuals are not directly involved because it's an automatic process, um, that that makes it a little more challenging for, um, if there are disputes about whether expungement is appropriate, it makes it a little harder for their position and their perspective, maybe to be part of the conversation. They might not even know that their file is under review so that they can chime in. Mm -hmm. Um, but I guess we'll see how that plays out. And then if people need to come back, the statute does have a, a section that allows for an individual to petition the court directly. Directly. So I would say, you know, if someone's case does get decided, quote unquote, incorrectly, um, where they don't get granted expungement for um, some objection that was lodged, they would have the ability to to come back to the court and say, no, I'm petitioning now for my expungement because that decision was wrong. Um, I don't know how I mean, I think folks are going to have to be pretty proactive to make that happen, though. I don't think they're going to get much notification um, alerting them to the fact that this is even an issue. And have any of your current clients um, come through this process at all? Have you guys touched any of these cases yet? 
Not me personally. Um, I, you know, my, by virtue of my um, appellate representation, um, most of my clients are currently incarcerated. And so that actually, you know, puts them on the list for one of the other pieces I didn't mention before is corrections also has an obligation under the statute to review and county jails for people that are currently there. Although none of the cases I'm currently handling involves um, a cannabis conviction in that case. So they would most likely fall into the, um, you know, past conviction, past arrest situation. Um, and so none that I'm aware of at least. We learned a little bit more about expungements from Stephen Robert Allen with the New Mexico Prison and Jail Project. The New Mexico Prison and Jail Project is a very new project. We just launched in December of 2020. It was a couple years in the making. An attorney named Matthew Coit, along with Kathy Anchelis, who was the former director of the New Mexico Criminal Defense Lawyers Association, kind of came up with this idea to create a nonprofit legal organization that advocated on behalf of people who are incarcerated in New Mexico or have been incarcerated by filing civil rights lawsuits and other legal actions on their behalf. And I was really excited to take part in this because, as you know, I worked at the ACLU for many years since 2012. I wasn't in our legal department there in the ACLU's legal department, but I saw that the vast majority, well, roughly half of the intake, the request for legal services to the ACLU was coming from inmates. And there just isn't the resources to provide legal representation to people that have been mistreated or abused in New Mexico prisons and jails. So that's why the organization was started. And I'm very excited to be here as the director. You probably can't speak about the technical side of things, but what we already know is that expungements for cannabis-related crimes will be automatic. Um, can that's you right. tell us why that's important to groups like the Prison and Jail Project? Well, you know, it, it helps solve a problem for people that are incarcerated for cannabis-related charges or have an arrest record that's, re that's related to cannabis. Um, those aren't huge numbers of people, you know, in terms of people that are incarcerated just for marijuana-related charges, and I think that's important to point out. Yeah, but, can you talk a bit about that? That is important. Yeah, I don't have um, numbers at my disposal. One of the issues that we're always trying to address when it comes to criminal justice reform is the inadequacy of the data. And, um, you know, we have the, the New Mexico Sentencing Commission. They do do a good job of this, and they show that there's you know, significant numbers of people that are in our prisons for charges related to drugs generally. How many of those are specifically uh, marijuana related? I don't actually know. I, you know, it's a, it's probably a somewhat low number, but it's incredibly important for those people. Um, and, and so because it's so unjust, you know, we just legalized cannabis in New Mexico to have people continue to be incarcerated for that um, is a problem. It has a bigger impact on people that have been arrested 
for marijuana related charges, but, but aren't currently incarcerated. All of this is tied together because um, expungement is important societally because we want people to have a second chance, right? We want people to be able to go out into the world and get jobs and get housing and, and, and sort of build lives for themselves, even though they have records of arrest and conviction, and actually especially because they have records of arrest and conviction, if they aren't able to do that, if they aren't able to reintegrate into our communities and get good jobs and sustain themselves, they're more likely to cycle back into our prisons and jails. And so from the perspective of my organization, the best way, the single best way to prevent people from suffering mistreatment and abuse in our prisons and jails is to prevent them from being in our prisons and jails in the first place. So for that reason, we're, we um, wholeheartedly support this measure in the expungement law here in New Mexico. So uh, you mentioned this a second ago, you have experience working for the, the ACLU of New Mexico and of course now the Prison and Jail Project. Given your experience with the, those two organizations, can you tell us what sort of uh, real life impacts these criminal charges and convictions have on people, even once they get out of uh, incarceration and, and trying to move forward with their lives? Yeah, you know, it's a common refrain that the collateral consequences of uh, arrest record or a conviction record can affect so many different areas of life from whether or not you can vote, um, whether it's easy uh, to get a job or not. Um, you know, I think those are really the, the, the big things, you know, whether you have access to services. Um, it's, uh, it's a very long list. I'm no expert on that list, but it's, you know, hundreds and even thousands of ways in which um, these arresting conviction records can impact people and prevent them from, from reintegrating into our communities and, and having a really solid shot at a second chance. We all want that, right? It's a public safety issue. You know, the organizations I've worked for tend to focus on the human rights aspect, right? And that's really important. You know, we want our society to, to care about people even if they've made mistakes. But even setting that aside, if you just care about the safety of your own neighborhood, then you have to care about people having a solid second chance because that's gonna predict whether or not they reoffend, whether they're breaking into our houses, whether they're um, using, uh, using drugs in a way that, that leads them to commit other crimes. All of those things have very big public safety aspects and that's front and center in people's minds. I mean, I've always worked for organizations that advocate on behalf of people with arresting conviction records, but um, you know, I care about safety in my neighborhood. I've been a victim of violence myself. I've had my house broken into. At one point, someone broke into my house and broke my dog's leg. Oh. Um, you know, these are, these are things no one wants. You know, I have a two-year-old, I care about her safety. The thing is, though, if we really care about public safety, we have to be smart about that. And that means keeping people out of our prisons and jails and giving them a chance at, at, at really thriving in our society. Um, what do you hope uh, will come out of these automatic expungements? A second chance for people that have these things on their record and that that this is sort of the main obstacle for them to uh, 
get on with their lives. And that's true of a, of a lot of these folks, but this is the albatross around their neck, right? That's, that's preventing them from getting that good job and working their way into owning their own house and, um, and, you know, getting a good education and all of these things. So it's, um, th that's what I hope, um, you know, from our perspective, I think we as a state here in New Mexico need to think about automatic expungement beyond merely the cannabis context. And I'd love to talk about that too. The other thing about expungement, automatic expungement that's so attractive is that you don't have people bogged down with all of the fees associated with the court costs, the hiring a lawyer to get it done. Um, I would love to see automatic expungements expanded to other um, other arrests and convictions. That would be really exciting. Short of that, I would like to see it be largely free. Um, so outside of the automatic expungement context, if people are trying to, you know, have committed a burglary, you know, 15 years ago, and now they have a job, they're, you know, they're my, my neighbor, they're doing well for themselves. I would like to see that be an automatic process too. If not, I'd like to see it be free so that there, you know, there's two things that people are wrestling with. One is just the bureaucracy of our criminal justice system, which, which is an obstacle in and of itself. And then there's, you know, the potentially thousands of dollars people have to dish out to go through this process. We talked a little bit about your hopes and, and how the, what comes out of these automatic expungements, but uh, what are your concerns or, or anything that you're sort of nervous about rolling these automatic expungements out? There's going to be bureaucratic hurdles. There's going to be delays. There's going to be processes that need to be set up. There's going to be some trial and error. You know, I think just the length of time and the smoothness of the process are, are concerns for me. That, that's one category um, that I think we need to keep our eye on. The other one is I think it, it would ideally, we need to have a conversation in the future, you know, and maybe this is two or three years down the line, but about, uh, about looking at those other categories that, that would be ripe for automatic expungement as well. Um, I, I think those are the, the, the two big things I think about. So practically speaking, just the bureaucracy of how this works, getting the process smooth and functional for people. And then the other one is after that happens, thinking about expanding it to other categories is going to be important. We've seen actually the first charge under the Cannabis Regulation Act for illicit, I'm sorry, not illicit, but unauthorized sales of cannabis. So there was a a place in Las Cruces called the Speakeasy. Um, do you have concerns about sort of now that it's legal, but there's still sort of an illegal aspect to it if you're not doing it the right way? Is that is that a concern of yours going forward? Yeah, I mean, we have baked into our ideas about public safety and law enforcement all of the false precepts of the war on drugs, right? And so culturally, we need to make some changes here. Law enforcement is constantly arguing that they're understaffed, that we don't have enough police officers. Some prioritizing of law enforcement resources is clearly in order. And so those departments need to think about whether that's the best use of their time. It probably isn't, right? At some point, they need to be smart about this and think about focusing their attention on things that are that people actually care about, you know, violence in our communities, 
the you, you know the, uh, the sort of security of people and their and their homes. Uh, you know, it, it's just it's a waste of time, a waste of resources, and someone has to wake up at some point. And, and that's a that's a cultural wake up that that we're still hopefully in the process of having. Um, so that's a philosophical answer, I guess, but that that's the best I can do. <laughs> would you would you um, I guess sort of at least partially expect in the coming years to see some push for lowering of those penalties? Like in this case, the gentleman who's charged, he's charged with a fourth degree felony um, mm -hmm. for selling cannabis when he didn't have a license to sell it essentially that's what it is so would you expect to see some of those pushes in the coming years i would hope so i mean there's no need that for that to be a felony um that that's ridiculous uh so certainly from a, a public policy perspective in terms of smart public policy those should be lowered again you know we always have these political hurdles about things like that but um that that would make sense you have worked a lot in these systems over the years and the idea is that these expungements are supposed to be automatic. We have already seen some bumps in other parts of rolling out the regs for recreational cannabis. What do you anticipate in terms of whether it will be that automatic <laughs> with all the players that have to be involved? Yeah, what's the, what's the over under in your, your mind? <laughs> yeah, I expect more bumps. And you know, I expect that we, you know, collectively kind of need to stay on top of them. That, that's why your reporting, you know, not to be too, um, too, uh, too obsequious, I guess is the word, but you know, your reporting is so crucial to this, right? Because it, without eyes on the process, there will be more bumps and people won't care about them. So the, this exact story that you're doing is, is part of the solution, I think. So we have at least an idea of how these automatic expungements are supposed to work, at least in New Mexico, but this is something that other states are apparently looking into. Last week, Andy and I spoke to Los Angeles-based reporter Amanda Chicago-Lewis about a story she wrote for The Guardian. We discussed a few different topics, and you can find that full interview on the New Mexico in Focus Facebook page, and we'll make sure to leave a link in this episode's description as well. One thing we talked about was social and economic equity in the cannabis industry, and Amanda told us a large part of that is expungements. Another sort of part of that equity piece um, is around expungement. What sort of efforts have you seen around the country for expungements for cannabis convictions and what degree of success have you seen with those? Yeah, so, right. So when we talk about equity, um, all the focus turns to licensing because that's where people are making money. But like more important for sure uh, in those conversations are expungements um, and what's known as community reinvestment. So expungements, interestingly, we've seen some progress in the last couple of years because, you know, the original expungement laws were essentially like, you could get your, you know, previous cannabis conviction expunged. 
but like the people who might have benefited from that didn't necessarily know about it and couldn't necessarily afford to hire a lawyer to make it happen for themselves. Um, and so in the last couple of years, we've seen more what's known as automated expungements, um, which is more complicated than it sounds because you can't just like go into a computer system and be like, boop, all the weed convictions. A lot of places, um, I mean, a lot of places like don't necessarily have all their criminal records computerized. Uh, a lot of them don't have drug convictions coded by type of drug. Um, and so you kind of have to like, and you know, it's, government and technology, not usually something that mixes um, well, but uh, there's an organization called Code for America that's done a lot of work around automated expungements, um, and they have a better idea of, of how to do it, but it's still, you know, create, creating a trust, but creating trust between a nonprofit and, you know, law enforcement and law enforcement having access, giving access to all of these records so that like someone can like sift through and figure out who needs to be expunged. Um, it's, it's hard. And, um, and then in some places, again, it becomes local, you know, in, in, in Los Angeles, the, the district, district attorney, like, didn't want to do expungements for like a really, I think it just happened like a couple of months ago, like they were resisting. Oh, five years. Yeah. yeah. So <sighs> yes, yeah. it's hard, but community reinvestment is the other, uh, uh the third sort of part of equity, right? So social equity generally is like an umbrella term for like all the things to try and atone for the racial disparities of the war on drugs and it's like prioritizing um you know dis you know disadvantaged communities in licensing um expungements and community reinvestment community reinvestment is taking the tax dollars from legal cannabis and giving it to um jobs training or other um other programs in largely like communities of color to sort of undo a lot of the economic damage and, and personal damage that was done by the war on drugs. Just a quick message to listeners. If you have a criminal cannabis charge or conviction on your record that would qualify you for expungement, we'd love to hear your story. You can contact us at growingforward at nmpbs.org. You can also use that email address to pitch an episode idea or just to say hi. This was another episode of Growing Forward. Our music is by Christian Bjorklund and Poddington Bear. Our logo was designed by Catherine Conley. And as always, special thanks to our super duper producer, Kevin McDonald. Mm-hmm.